What is up? Welcome back to Stacking Slabs. This is your hobby content alternative. I'm your host, Brett McGrath. Excited to be here. How are you? Appreciate you stopping by. Excited to bring this conversation to you. I got my man, Chad, the Couchman Sports Cards on Instagram. Keeping with the theme of being economical with our buys. I've known Chad ever since I got back in the hobby. He's a big Peyton collector. And he made a comment to me after he saw a recent post that stopped me in my tracks. You're going to hear that comment on the other side of this. If you like what I'm doing over here, follow, subscribe, hit all the freaking buttons. But most importantly, tell a damn friend you're enjoying the Stacking Slabs podcast. Without further ado, let's kick it to the conversation. All right, everybody, excited for this chat. I'm joined by a fellow Peyton Manning collector. Going to state that out in the open. Part of the Peyton chat, Chad, the Couchman Sports Cards. Last week, I posted something about the collecting zone and the range of uh, cards and prices that I like to um, buy in. And the reaction was crazy. And Chad, uh, slid in my DMs and responded with something that we'll get to, but it it blew my mind. So uh, we're going to get to that. We're going to talk Peyton. We're going to talk cars. Chad's been doing this for a while. But without further ado, Chad, welcome. How are you doing, man? Hey, doing great, Brett. Thanks for having me on. I've been looking forward to the discussion all day. Good. Me too. I'm glad I've got the baby down. Work is over with. Now it's time to talk sports cards. Um, maybe we start things off by what we were just talking about before uh, we hit record. Um, Peyton guy, Colts fan, you got to experience Peyton in Denver because that's where you're currently located. Sure, this will dovetail into your collecting, but talk a little bit about just that journey you have as a uh, Colts fan, a Peyton fan, and all of the, all of that action. Yeah, I, I was it. it I actually, you know, grew up Southern Indiana, you know, an hour South of Indianapolis. So I've got all the, the Indianapolis fandom in my blood, like you do, but I just slightly predate the time when the Colts were in Indianapolis. So I, I still remember, you know, I was probably, I don't know, gosh, eight, nine years old when the Mayflower trucks rolled into Indianapolis. Um, and remember those, you know, those early years and man, they were lean. Um, and, 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 you know, kind of stuck with them all through the 80s into the 90s there, um, you know, had a couple of up years, up playoff years, um, but just never did did get over the hump. And then, you know, obviously, you know, the, the, the draft in 98, um, I, I still remember where I was when I heard that they had chosen to take Peyton. Um, I was actually on, on Lake Monroe down in Bloomington fishing. Um, of all things. And the funny thing is I'm not even that much of a, of a fisherman, but anyway, was sitting out on the lake and heard that they drafted Peyton um, and was excited about it, but honestly, you know, didn't know a ton about him. I mean, I was at that point, we were, you know, what, 15, 16 years into the franchise, you know, nothing had ever worked out. I mean, we'd, we'd gone through Chris Chandler and, you know, Jack Trudeau and Jeff George and nothing, you know, nothing just ever seemed to work out. So I kind of had that pessimistic streak going to me there. So, you know, hey, you know, 98 was okay. You know, there was just not a lot of talent around him. And then, man, 99, like just something turned. And it's like, man, do we have our guy here? So ironically, that's around the time I left Indianapolis or left Indiana. I wasn't in Indianapolis. Left Indiana to move to Denver. 
Um, and so, you know, the bulk of Peyton's career, I'm here in, in, in Denver surrounded by Broncos fans, and I'm just loving, you know, Indianapolis just seemed to dominate Denver during that period of time. Yes. A couple, couple of big dominating playoff games. I met, you know, my now wife, who is a huge Denver Broncos fan, had a couple of really, really cold Saturday nights with the Broncos getting just killed by the Colts in playoff games. Um, and then over, you know, over all those years, I, I just grew to just hate the Broncos. <laughs> I'm sitting here, they're on sports radio constantly, you know, just these whiny Broncos fans. And when Peyton's career was winding down in Indianapolis and there was some, you know, the first, first day after he was let go by the Colts, he was here meeting John Elway at Broncos headquarters, which is just, you know, I mean, I can be at Broncos headquarters in 10 minutes. And I'm like, man, is he going to come here? And if he does, what, what's that going to mean? And honestly, man, when he came, you know, the, those, those four years here you know, that culminated in the Super Bowl, it, it was so fun to watch Broncos fans who I think rightfully had some concerns about him coming in. I think we all had concerns about what his arm was going to be like and how he was going to play, but watching how he kind of embraced the community. Um, and, and it was, it was really satisfying for me um, as a Peyton fan first to watch him kind of take to Denver and watch the Broncos fans take to him. So I, I'm happy. I was happy to be here for it. I missed a lot when I was not in Indiana, but man, I, I really got paid back being here for the last four years. A comparison that I, I make in today to somebody who's currently playing. And I've said, this is just, I, I don't know if his career will end up this in the same trajectory as Peyton Manning, but I, I think about, I feel for those bills fans right now in like Josh Allen and like the fact that like Super Bowl favorites, high highs and get bounced from the playoffs um, when they had such a good team, this high octane offense, because we experienced that as Colts fans for so many years. Finally, we got over the hump, but you mentioned those uh, Broncos playoff wins that, that, and no offense to any Broncos fans out there listening, but it was like, if we got the Broncos in a meaningful or important game, like that was like, okay, we're going to win this one. And I remember that home playoff game where Reggie or someone threw a block on champ Bailey and like Marvin went up the middle and it was just like, I don't know, whenever it was funny to see Peyton go there because it was like, whenever Peyton played him as a Colt, it was just like a field day. Every time, you know, it's, it's weird though, that first year and boy, I can just go down a rabbit hole here. Stop me when you need to, but that the first year when they played the Broncos in the playoffs, it was, I want to say it was in week fifth, whenever they played the 15th game, I can't remember if they, it was week 15 or week 16, but it was a Sunday night game. Denver went to Indianapolis. And I remember I was back to visit my parents. I think it was around Christmas time. And went to that game. And if you go back and look at the box score, one of the worst games that that Peyton ever played. The Broncos actually dominated that game. And it had, I think that then I think the Broncos, the, the Colts then needed next week, the next week, they I want to say they needed to win that game to have a home field advantage in the wild card round. And so then the Broncos were coming right back, having beaten the, their pants off two weeks before. That's right. So I, was, <laughs> yeah. I was really nervous about that. And I have no idea what flipped, man. It was, it was night and day different. 
warmed up a little bit on some nostalgic Peyton talk. Obviously, like Peyton drives your collecting. Uh, maybe like when when did you start collecting cards and collecting Peyton seriously? Yeah. So, you know, I, I'm like I said, I'm a child of the 80s, kind of came up with most kids in the 80s or most sports fans. You know, it was the you know tops baseball cards every year, really got into it. Um, you know, then I, I got, when you know, went to college, um, in the early nineties, got out of college, graduated from college, started my career, kind of dabbled a little bit, kept my old cards, but wasn't really, you know, super active in the hobby. And I think it was the, if I'm thinking about it correctly, it was probably the home run chase in 98 with Sosa and McGuire that kind of got me back in. And I'm, you know, I, my page is all football, all, all bolts pretty much, but I'm a baseball guy at heart. And that really got me kind of back into it. And so that carried forward into 99. And then I started, you know, buying football cards. So I'm like, gosh, hey, we've got a pretty decent team here. Edgerin had had come into town and, you know, they were starting to really roll up points. And it's like, gosh, we've got this great quarterback. We've got this great, great running back. You know, Marvin is, you know, just being Marvin out there. And then really for the next, I don't know, gosh, Brett, probably four or five years, I didn't collect as much as I accumulated. That's I, I, I really separate the two. A really, I would say, irresponsible level of spending on, you know, opening every new box that came out, you know, thinking that I was going to be able to recoup, you know, what I, what I got out of buying the box and probably did that for four or five years. And I finally got to a point in 03, 04, around the time that the that Peyton finally seemed like he was starting to get over the hump a little bit, where I looked at what I had, realized I didn't have anything to show for all that money and I that I had spent. And I was getting ready to enter a new phase of life where, you know, I was going to get married and I expected that buying a house and having kids was going to come with that. So I needed to get my financial house in order. And so that meant I was going to have to change the way that I, you know, participated in the hobby. And so that meant, you know, a complete ceasing of, of buying unopened, you know, material. And, you know, that was around the time, you know, I mean, eBay had been going for a few years at that point. And I'm like, you know, what if I just collected pick Manny cards? And, and I went back and looked as, you know, as I was kind of thinking about this, this conversation, I went back and looked. It was the fall of 05 when it's pretty clear that I kind of made that decision. And so, you know, we're talking almost 18 years now of really curating uh, the Peyton Manning collection that I that I still have right now and am building. So I heard a number from you when we were chatting cards when we first got on and you said 2,800. <laughs> You've got 2,800 Manning cards, which is a significant amount. I'm curious, like you said, kind of as you're just buying things and buying boxes, ripping them, nothing to show for it. I would imagine in that 2800 uh, collection, you probably have a lot to show it. Maybe talk through just like, has there been an evolution with the types of Manning cards or are there different projects you're working on? Talk us through that because that's a significant amount of cards. Yeah, it started out as collect everything. And at the time, and I, I had to go back and look, and I, I have a 
checklist of every Peyton Manning card from 98 through 2015 that I've kind of developed over the years with, with various sources. And at the end of 05, I think there's something like 5,000 different Peyton Manning cards in, in, in this checklist. If you take out one of ones and maybe stuff numbered to less than 10, I don't know, maybe that cuts out four or 500. Um, but it started out as an impossible task, right? Let's collect all of Peyton Manning's various cards and let's ignore the one of ones. And obviously that's an impossible task. I don't, I just, I mean, I, I guess you could do it, but it's never been something that I've completely swept aside. But as what, what I basically did at that point, what I've continued really to do for the last 18 years is just focus on a lot of the low serial numbered cards. I'm going to be able to get the common cards. If I really do want to fill out, let's say, a you know, six, seven, eight thousand different Peyton Manning card collection, um, then, yeah, I'm going to need to get common cards at some point. But the reality is those are going to be available, you know, whenever I want to go grab them and they'll be available in bulk if I look hard. So I, I just really focused on the serial numbered stuff. Um, you know, cards number to 25, cards number to 50, you know, I've got, you know, cards number to 49, you know, there's a whole bunch of those, 99, whatnot, and and just focused on that. Um, and still to this day, that's the the kind of stuff I'm I'm focusing on. I still will grab lots of commons from now on just to try to fill spots. Um, but I'm not as focused on that as I am the low serial numbered stuff. How how are you? Uh, is, are you doing anything specifically special to document this? Like I would imagine, with that volume and the checklist and low, even if you're just focusing in on low serial number, it gets hard to keep track of what you have and what you don't have. Yeah, I do. So I, I'm a finance guy. I'm a CPA. I do tax work. So I'm an Excel guy, um, and I do have a, an Excel workbook with that I can, you know, I can filter, um, I can sort, you know, I can find something pretty quickly. Like I don't need to go look in a box to see if I have something. My spreadsheet is good. About once a year, I'll go through and I'll, I'll take the cards and I'll actually sit here and I'll, you know, mark everything off to make sure that I've logged everything correctly. And of course I always find mistakes that, that, that need to be fixed, but yeah, I mean, I, I track everything and I, that spreadsheet has, you know, what I paid for cards when I bought them. Um, you know, I've probably got that for 90% of my collection. There's probably about another 10% that, you know, for some reason I just don't have. But yeah, I'm an information man. So I've got it there. Before we get into your quote that you sent me that we'll, I'm sure we'll dig into. So I grew up around a CPA, my father's one. So understand the, the traits of a CPA and uh, pretty well. And I oftentimes try to think about that from a, a, a card perspective, especially if you're looking at the market and looking how what things are going up and what things are going down. And I guess like, maybe like as someone who's been doing this for a while and, and you have the professional background you do, like the last two, three years during the crazy zone, like crazy times, like, what what was going on in your head as a collector as you're seeing all it doesn't need to be specific to Peyton. It could just be like the hobby in general. When you're seeing like these cards rocket 
go through on rocket ships and then come back down. Like what was going on in your head is just an experienced collector who also probably, uh, you know, mitigates risk and pays attention to the finances, maybe a little more than the average collector. Yeah. It was disbelief. You know, I could not believe, I mean, cause some of these cards, Brett, I've had for 10, 15 years. You know, we talk about some of the gold refractors that get posted and, you know, it's fun for me to go back and be like, man, I've had that card for a while. When did I get that card? And it's like, oh, I bought that raw in, you know, November of 2005. And, you know, I've had a lot of those cards for a long time and they didn't really move in value a ton based on at least what I was observing. And I've never been a guy that really paid a ton of attention to the value of some of those things that I had. I mean, I think I had a decent sense of how the market was moving overall, but seeing stuff that I had that I felt like had stayed relatively constant for maybe a decade, seeing it jump, you know, four or five times in just a short amount of time, it it felt too good to be true to me. And I, you know, there was a time Maybe in the four or five months after, you know, the pandemic kicked off when things were really high. And I remember telling my wife, I'm like, hey, I, some of this stuff feels abnormally high and I'm, I think I'm going to sell some stuff. Uh, and I did. And I sold, dude, I sold probably half a dozen cards that I would kill to have back. Hey, can you I make it? I don't. I don't. I don't want to open up any uh, wounds. But can you? Can you call out a card or two? Well, I, I will tell you, and it's the reason why I'm on Instagram, and the reason why ultimately this this ball rolling down the hill now results in you and I having a conversation mm-hmm. is that you know I had put some stuff on eBay. Probably I want to say it was early summer of 2020, and I had pulled some gold refractors you know, PSA 10s. And dude, I mean, these things had sold for 25, 30, maybe 50 bucks. They, you know, I had a couple that were PSA 10s that I thought, eh, you know, those things are probably worth a hundred bucks. And all of a sudden I'm seeing, you know, three, 400 bucks for these things. And I know you hear three or 400 bucks now and you're like, dude, that's nothing for me. These things are probably six, seven times that now. And so I, I mean, one of them, the 06 finest gold refractor, PSA 10, Kevin Randall has it. That's how I got connected to Kevin was Kevin reached out to me on eBay and said, Hey, you know, I'm a big Peyton collector too. And, you know, I, I'm interested in this card and another, I want to say it was like an 08 finest gold refractor that I actually had two of fortunately. So I, that one was a, a dupe, but yeah, sold a couple of those for, you know, I mean, at the time it felt like gosh, I'm making out like a bandit here. But in reality, Kevin was the one making out like a bandit. Oh, uh, yeah, he get, he gets the best of us. Uh, okay, so your quote, let's get into that. So you, you sure. messaged me after I was talking about the price points that I like to buy. And you told me, which I'll never forget when I first got connected to you is via Kevin. And it was because of the Peyton Showcase. And I just remember like, seeing your cards for the first time and being like, man, like there's so much awesome stuff, so much stuff that I'd what in my collection. And so I had this like notion in my head about like just this big robust collection that you have of stuff that I'd love to have. And you mentioned to me that I can count on my hand the number of times I've spent more than $500 on a card, which 
I knew you'd been collecting for a long time. I knew you had awesome stuff. And that just blew my mind. And I, right when you said that, I was like, all right, I, Chad, you need to come on the show because we, we need to talk about this. So I don't know, like, talk about that. Like, I think anyone who just looked at your collection would be shocked by that statement. But like, talk a little bit about like how you got there. And then maybe like, what's your philosophy in terms of like your spending on cards and making sure you don't, you know, overextend yourself. Yeah. Yeah. So I look after I sent you that message, I actually looked it up. I looked in my, my spreadsheet and and that's twice I've, I've spent $500 or more on a card twice. And let, let's get the elephant out of the room here. Like it can be awkward to spend, to talk about what you, you spend on cards, but that's kind of the underlying theme here. So I recognize that that's it, a little, you know, the French have a term gauche to kind of describe that. So yeah, you know, it, it kind of dates back to when I first really started collecting Peyton and had this limited budget. And I really did limit myself. I can't remember what the number was back then, but it was probably no more than 150 or $200 a month. So, you know, to me, and, and keep in mind, like the upper end Mannings, you know, I wasn't really looking at the rookie stuff, but if you were looking at like, like gold refractors, like, dude, seriously, you could get that stuff for five or 10 bucks time. Like when a product would come out, like those things were floating for five or 10 bucks. Like it, like you could build a really good collection at that time with a little bit of money. And I don't know what it was for me, Kevin, but I just never, even today, I pick up cards that are really cool and they're, they're awesome. I still see it as a two and a half inch by three and a half inch piece of cardboard that somebody's put a picture on, somebody's paid for licensing some intangible property. So there's some value there, but I still, even to this day, I have a hard time justifying throwing a big number at something like that. And that's not like, that's me, you know, I mean, that's not like, I mean, I'm envious of people that chase the bigger stuff and get the bigger stuff and feel comfortable in that lane. But I didn't feel comfortable in that lane back in 05 when I really didn't have the disposable income to, to chase that stuff. And over time, even though, you know, that disposable income chunk has grown, I've never, I've never felt like it grew what I was willing to spend on a, on a specific card. And it's not to say that I wouldn't ever do that, but, you know, there are a lot of times when people will reach out to me on IG and they'll have a great card and they'll be like, Hey, you know, I'm looking for, you know, three grand, four grand for this. And my response back to them is like, Hey, that's a great card. And if that's what you want for that card, you're probably going to get it because that price is about is, is, is right. I'm just not going to be your buyer and I'll, help you make that connection. But like, I'm just not comfortable spending that on, on, on a card. Um, and even if there was built in value, right. If maybe let's say I'm getting a, you know, thousand dollar deal on something, I'm not planning on turning around and selling the thing and, and, and recouping that gain. So um, yeah, it's just, it's a comfort level thing for me. And I, I've never gotten, I've never gotten over it. How important yeah. How important do you have been like longevity plus consistency 
of like your actions and activities and like staying true to that. I feel like one thing we can never see as collectors is we can't see like, you know, two to three down two to three to five years down the road. We always think about the immediate, but I hear your story and it's like, all right, I'm not spending more than $500 on a card regularly. I have this chunk that's dedicated to my Peyton buying and this is what I'm going to stick to. And like you have stuck to that since you have started collecting, which has been years. And then you look at your collection now and it's like, it's pretty awesome. And those cards have appreciated. So I don't know, like talking through that and thinking about that, like how important I guess is just consistency and just match with longevity been to getting, building the collection you have at kind of the price dollar you want to be at. Yeah. I I mean, I think it's, it's kind of, you know, being, true to myself and being true to how I, how I feel about collecting and its place in, 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 in my overall life. Right. You know, I mean, I, I feel like, you know, I need to be accountable, right. I mean, I need to be accountable to myself to have fun and, and to not make this something that's too serious or causes me stress like this at the end of the day, this is a, this is a hobby and it's fun. Um, and if I, if I got outside of my constraints, I think it would start to feel stressful to me. And so there, there's that accountability. Mm. There's also accountability to my household, right? I mean, I, I have, you know, I have financial goals and, you know, my wife and I have a plan and, you know, I have a plan, you know, for, you know, trying to get kids through college and, and you know those are the priorities. And if I start stepping outside of the bounds that I've set for myself on 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 the hobby, then that stuff starts to become a risk. And then I'm not accountable to them. But you know, also I just think you know I I just want like for me it's not or maybe it is consistency, but it's consistency in patience. Mm-hmm. You know, it lets me or you know, collecting this way. I think lets me kind of view everything through a long term lens. I mean, I've been in the hobby. I mean, gosh, if I date myself back to my first pack of 1983 Topps baseball cards, I mean, I'm, I'm 40 years now. And so all I've known is the long term in the hobby and everything I buy today, you know, I'm doing through a long term lens. So, yeah, I mean, it's it's, you know, just I, it's, I'm just trying to hold myself accountable here and have fun. You said something to me that uh, is stuck with me. And it's, we were talking about just the sharing of cards that aren't maybe not the heavy hitters. And you said like, I wish more, I wish more people just like felt comfortable, just like being proud and sharing their cards. And I I couldn't agree more. And that's, we saw some of that this weekend, which was, which was awesome. But I don't know, like what I learned is that the majority, the core of the hobby buys cards in this range, like by far and away. But what we read, what we see, what we hear, what we're told to think is that it's all about like the high end. And that's where people are at when that's not true at all. It's a very small percentage. So like, I don't know, that hadn't been come, that hadn't been so clear to me as it is now. So I guess just like, how do you look at that situation when like everything we see is about top shelf, but in reality, the majority of all of us are collecting in this kind of low to mid tier range. Yeah, I I love the top shelf stuff. It's I mean I I I'm glad that people share that stuff. 
um, and that I can see it. And I'm, I'm, I mean, I don't know if envious is the right word. I mean, I, I sit here and, and know that I'm, I'm not going to have that stuff, right? Like that's just, it's just not something that I'm probably ever going to have. But yeah, I mean, I, there's so much, if you think about like what Peyton has, and I, I think other players are like this too. I know we, I always circle back to Peyton because that's my lane, but you know, Peyton between 98 and, and 2015 has something like 14,000 different cards and maybe, you know, there might be a couple thousand one-on-ones in there if you count printing plates and everything. So the point is, is there's a lot of really cool stuff that gets buried and it's the stuff that when I see it pop up, whether it's in somebody else's feed where they're posting a card of a different player from the same set that I know and love, you know, it'll be some like, you know, like playoff momentum insert that's got a parallel number to the player's number of touchdowns in 2001, right? And it's like, oh man, <laughs> that's the kind of thing that makes my heart skip a beat. And it's, you know, for Peyton, it might be a 40 or $50 card for a Randy Moss. It might be the same thing, you know, but there might be, you know, you know, there's, you know, Steve McNair or, you know, somebody else from that early two thousands. And that's the stuff that I just love when people share, because it's like, Oh, you get it too. You, you get, you've got one of those in your hands and you realize how cool that card is and how cool that set is. And so I, I, I just, that's what I try to, that I think curate on my page are cards that maybe get buried a little bit in, in people's mm. PCs because it's, it's not the thing that, that you're seeing kind of posted now. You don't even see these cards come up for sale that often, but there's still a story behind it. And there it's part of our collecting journeys, it's part of my collecting journey. It's part of others collecting journeys. And I just like, I like bringing that stuff. to the circle. Yeah. I, I find myself to, uh, I, my thing is, is like, I like the stuff that nobody else has, but like when there's that old set or old product that like, it's not a prism, it's, it's not a tops Chrome. It's something different that you've never seen it. I love posting that and then getting a message be like, this is, and then all of a sudden you're both talking about a set that no one has talked about and you, somebody else is appreciating it. So I think that's a fun part about collecting a guy like Peyton, who's got so many years I'd love to maybe understand, like, I'm sure throughout this process, you've have some good stories about maybe like getting ahead of uh, certain cards. Like, hell, you're talking about Peyton Golds that were, you know, 10 to $15 a pop, which I think anyone listening would buy everything in sight, but maybe share some like specific cards and sets that you, you got ahead of early on your journey that now maybe are desired or highly collectible from, from the hobby. Yeah, I will say that I wish that I could say I saw the future and knew that that you know the gold refractors were going to be the 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 big thing in in uh, the early 2020s, but I, I didn't know that. I think I got lucky. You know, I, I really liked the what we call the shiny stuff, right? Chrome and and finest, and I can remember, you know, when when those stuff when that stuff would get released. You know, it was a little different, you know, back in the mid 2000s, maybe even into the late part of that first decade. It's a little different than it is now, like now. And I, I feel like you've been one that's cautioned people about, hey, don't buy this stuff as soon as it comes out. Like, wait a little bit. Those prices will come down on, on singles. And they do. 
but back, you know, when I was first getting started and then kind of in the, the heyday there from, you know, 05 through maybe about 11 or 12, you wanted to jump on that stuff early. Like you wanted to get the, the stuff that got listed on day one or day two, because not everybody was looking for it yet. A lot of people didn't even realize what the release calendars were like. So if you stayed on top of that stuff and could get on it, you could get it, you know, a lot cheaper. So I was I would just try to hammer that serial numbered stuff out of Finest and Topps Chrome, um, a lot of the Don Russ and Leaf and Playoff releases from the pre-Panini days. And I, I mean, I would just like I would look at the checklist and just be like, okay, here are the serial numbers I need to put into my into my Peyton Manning searches. And I would just try to knock that stuff out as much as I could. But the problem is, is that, you know, at that time, it wasn't just one manufacturer like we have now who can kind of spread out their releases. You know, you had you had tops and then you had Donruss Leaf playoff. And then even up until what it was maybe 04, you had Fleer. And these guys were just slamming stuff, boom, boom, boom. And you'd have three or four releases a week sometimes. And it was too much to keep up with. And then a week later, you're just moving on to the next thing. So I still had holes because I would move on to the next thing as well. But I would, you know, I would hammer release week. And still, there's a part of me that's that's inclined to do that now. But then I see the prices and stuff. And I'm like, all right, like, slow your roll, brother. Like this, you know, we'll, we'll come back in a month. Yeah, I, I've been on both sides. So with a lot of the wrestling stuff, uh, I'm like, I'm buying stuff that for like 2X and then two months later, it'll be back down and be like, well, there is a part of you, you that's like, at least I have it now and I don't need to worry about it. I want to maybe close out and talk about some of those cool cards and sets. I feel like every time I'm posting like a, an old Bowman's Best Manning or something, contenders, old stuff, you're always the first to comment. So I feel like I kind of understand kind of the sets and products that you like, but maybe share with the listeners, especially those people who are, feel like there's a a wave of people that are diving into kind of these older football sets and having a blast because it's stuff is affordable and the cards are amazing. So maybe share some products that you, you love that uh, might not be in the eyes of others right now. Yeah, so early Don Russ Leaf playoff stuff is stuff that just, I mean, I, I just love that stuff. Um, you know, Don Russ Elite, you know, had the great aspirations and status die cut parallels. So the aspiration, or well, I mean, status would be uh, numbered to the player's uniform number. So Mannings were always numbered to 18. The aspirations would be numbered to 100 less the jersey number. So they would always be numbered 82. Mm-hmm. Marvin Harrison, who, by the way, I collected Marvin Harrison during this time period as much as I collected Manning. And that stuff was super cheap, by the way. Like everything was like 99 cents plus shipping and handling. Uh, Marvin Harrison's were flipped a little bit because he, he, his status would be 88. His aspirations would be 12. That stuff I love. They would always have really cool insert sets that would have multiple levels of parallels um, that were fun to chase. Playoff momentum, playoff mm-hmm. contenders. Um, you know, there's the year, and I'm not going to remember which year it is, but there's the year that has the power red, and then there's like a baby blue, and then a 99. Gold. 
Yeah, those things are absolutely ridiculous. <laughs> and by the way, I'm still looking for those golds. I don't have those golds. Um, I've got both of the reds, one of the blues, and if those golds ever pop up, I'm going to break my $500 rule. Not that that's really a rule, but but anyway. So there's there's that. I, another thing that I think is really underrated are early Pacific parallels. You know, Pacific from 99 to about, gosh, I can't remember when they kind of petered out, maybe 02. Um, there's some really tough defined parallels from, from some of those sets. You know, if you go look at my page just the other day, um, there was a, the Atomic, the 2002 mm-hmm. Atomic. And it was, it's a gold and it's numbered to the player's jersey number. So it's numbered to 18. I've been looking for that thing for years. One finally popped up and I threw a megabit at it. You know, the old, you know, Chris McGill megabit and, you know, probably won it for a fifth of what I bid because people just aren't looking for that stuff. So I really like that stuff. And then, you know, once you get into kind of the mid 2000s a little bit, Leaf Limited Every time I see like a Leaf Limited jersey card or, you know, they had the limited threads jersey cards every year. Those things are amazing. Leaf Limited, Leaf Certified Materials mm. with the, the fabric of the game cards are absolutely amazing. Those are great. Like if you like jersey cards, those are a great place to go. Playoff Absolute Memorabilia with the Tools of the Trade. And not all really, really cool multi-swatch cards. Um, and then, you know, just this dude, just sometimes just straight tops, you know, some of the old, the black parallels that came out of packs, just chipped like crazy. You know, you, if you find one in like a PSA seven today, it's like finding it in gym mint condition. Uh, that stuff is great. That stuff. I just, I, I stop when I'm going through my cards and I get to that stuff. I stop. That's when, you know, I'm going to put you on the hot seat as we close this out, but like when you think about your collection, your Peyton Manning cards, what is your, the card you own that is like your, your grail, like your Peyton grail that to you, it has the significance and all the other traits that we aspire that stand out. What's your card? Man, that is, that is tough. And when you've got 2,800 different cards to pick a favorite, it's like asking me to pick my favorite kid. Um, (laughs) I will say this, and I, I put this card forward as my favorite card when we did our top 10 with, with Kevin the last time. And if anybody's listening to this and hasn't watched that, they should go back and, and watch it. It's a lot of fun. The card that I put on there was a 2013 Panini Select Hot Stars mm-hmm. insert, and it's the gold prism version of that card. So it's numbered to 10. That card is the goldest, shiniest card that I own. And it's a, he's in a Broncos jersey in that card. So it's a little odd for me as a Colts fan to say, gosh, it's that, it's that Broncos card. That is my favorite card. If I'm going to show one card to somebody and say, look at how awesome this card is, it's that one. Now, that card is, I don't know. I don't even know if it's in my top, you know, top 50 most valuable cards, but it's it's one of my favorites. But then, yeah, I mean, it, you know, some of the exquisite autographed stuff. You know, some of those cards are really cool too. You know, we really, really didn't talk about ultimate and exquisite mm-hmm. very much, but those are some of my favorites as well. You know, some of the autographs I have there are, are fantastic. And those to me, cards that he signed, those are, those are certainly my, my grails as well. 
I recently acquired the Andrew Luck version of the Pate, the Hot Stars, and I can attest that it is the goldest of gold cards. And we'll also, I never do this, but I'll use this as an opportunity. If you have a Peyton or know where one is at, I need it for my Peyton and Luck storytelling in my collection. So I'm glad you reminded me of that card. Um, Chad, this was a ton of fun, man. Um, you can follow him at the Couchman Sports Cards on IG. Um, let's definitely do this again. There's a lot more we could talk about. There sure is. This was a lot of fun, Brad. I appreciate it. Awesome to connect with Chad. Love his collection. Love his mentality. His approach is awesome and something I think we can learn a lot uh, from how he operates. You take care of yourself. Take care of others around you. We're always bringing more stacking slabs. Always bringing it. And we'll have more for you. Just be patient. It's coming next week. Peace out. Peace out.